So welcome to the inaugural podcast of Salzburg and Lightning, um, the ruminations of a Christian. Uh, my goal with this uh, podcast is to uh, sort of a deep dive on certain issues from a, from a Christian perspective or through a Christian lens. So I first want to explain why I chose the title Salzburg and Lightning. First of all, Salzburg is my favorite city. It's in Austria. I've been there a couple times now. And it probably owes to the fact that The Sound of Music is my favorite movie. I've probably seen it over a hundred times. And I even have a website where I transcribe the entire movie. And then, of course, I'm from Tampa, so my favorite hockey team is the Lightning. But also... it. The title is a play on Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where he says that his followers should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And of course, salt is souls in German, and hence Salzburg and lightning. And the title is a, the title of this podcast is Dreams and the Speed of Light which is kind of fitting because not only will I discuss light, but I will also discuss neurons in the brain. And, and there's actually a, a uh, they, they call it a, a, a saltatory conduction uh, through, the, through the axon. And uh, it actually comes from the Latin word saltus, S-A-L-T-U-S, which has nothing to do with regular salt. But coincidentally, um, well, you just heard some uh, thunder, and I could see the lightning here in Tampa. I'm recording this live uh, in Tampa. But coincidentally, the change uh, or the, the, the charge in neurons are actually use uh, sodium and potassium, which, of course, when combined with chlor- chlorine or chloride, um, are, form salts. So my topic is dreams. Now I'm going to argue for a hypothesis that explains many of the facts that I take about dreams. And so my hypothesis is is a rather bold metaphysical claim. And I want to argue against the standard explanation of dreams or even perception in general, which identifies the mind with the brain. Um, And I will actually give an argument for perception also uh, that you need more than the brain for perception and for dreams. So here, here are some of the facts that, uh, about dreams that I think a hypothesis about dreams should explain. Number one, dreams are narrative-like. They have scenes, characters, plots. Now, I, I, I would take this to be odd if dreams are nothing but random neuron firings in the brain, you know, while we're sleeping, why wouldn't we expect pulsating red shape here or polka dot kaleidoscope there? <laughs> in other words, why, why are dreams like mini movies? Why do they take on like narrative, narrative shapes? Two, dreams are in the first person. Now, I can only speak for myself, but I've never shown up in my dream. And and I know what I look like. I mean, there, there's things called mirrors. Um, 
Now, I think that the standard scientific response to this would, would be to say that um, dreams are nothing but memories, and so therefore you would expect them to be in first person. But this segues nice to my next point, which is three, things happen in dreams which are novel. At least they do in my dreams. They do not seem to be replaying memories from our past life experiences. The rejoinder would be that, that what happens in dreams is what our subconscious noticed in real life, but we didn't pay attention to. Like if people showed up in our dream that we didn't recognize, well, that's just people that we, we saw in real life that, we, that, we, that was just part of our subconscious. They were in our visual field, but we didn't pay attention to them. But I, I kind of take this, that rejoinder as totally unmotivated and, and ad hoc. There's, there's just no evidence that, that that's what is what's happening in the brain. Number four, dreams involve the present. Now, this is perhaps a little controversial, but at least when I dream, um, characters from the past do not show up. I mean, Abraham Lincoln never appeared in my dream. I never dreamt I was in the Civil War or World War II. <laughs> Five, contrary to many descriptions of dreams, I never take that the laws of physics were ever broken. I mean, I never fl flown in my dreams. Uh, it seems like a lot of people think they they have flown in their dreams. Now, maybe that's the case. And I, I may have an explanation for that, but this this goes with, with dreams being as narratives. Now, if, if the laws of physics were violently transgressed in our dreams, it would be hard to imagine a narrative. I mean, maybe the the whole universe would, the whole dream universe would just be chaotic and it would just turn into, you know, pulsating red here and, you know, polka dot kaleidoscope there kind of dreams. Number six, dreams are passive. We don't seem to be in control of our dreams. Now, this might be not true of lucid dreams. I mean, uh, as a counterexample, but I will discuss, well, actually, I'll discuss that now because there, th this is more of an issue of, of, of what happens in the brain, that, that the, there's parts of the brain that sort of rule our rationality that is cut off from, the, you know, the, the aspect of dreaming. And that, and that explains why we, we don't have sort of an a, a active role in our dreams. Well, I'll, I'll talk about that maybe, or I'll talk about the, 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 the physics of dreams or the, you know, the, what's involved in the brain later. Number seven, and this is the kill shot, the speed of light. When we dream, things are lit, right? I mean, it seems like we see a scene and... It's either outdoors or inside, and we, we see light, right? But how does science explain that? And that's, that's the rub. If the mind is the brain, how does the brain simulate light? Now, neurons in the brain, um, I looked it up, and it, they, it, it just said that they travel at the fastest some 120 meters per second whereas light travels about 300 million meters per second. 
So maybe you could say, well, the brain uses sort of like a movie, just, you know, uses these frames. And we see a bunch of frames that individually are just memories of light. So therefore, you don't need the speed of light, just like frames in a movie don't need the speed of light to, to, light, you know, to light up a scene. But again, I, I take this as totally unmotivated. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that the brain uses any sort of um, you know, frame, frame manipulation like a movie projector would. So now I want to argue that in general, that the, the mind is not the brain. So most neuroscientists claim two things. One, the brain is responsible for everything mental. And two, we don't have a clue what a theory of mind that identifies it with the brain would look like. And there's a tension there. Scientists can't explain the mental. So, I, you know, as a graduate student, I had, I had the great fortune of taking four philosophy courses from a very famous philosopher, Hilary Putnam, at Harvard. And it, was, and it just so happened that one of my TAs for one of those classes was Alva Noy, who is one of the leading proponents of the, of the theory that the mind is not the brain. And a couple of his books are out of... Out of our mind, or out of our heads, why you are not your brain, and other essays or lessons from the biology of consciousness, and his other book is titled um, Action and Perception. And uh, at the time that, that Alvanoi was my my uh, TA, he was under he was writing his doctoral dissertation for under Hillary Putnam. So. Here, here is one of the arguments that Alvanoi gives. And he says, imagine that you are a brain in a vat and that all of your nerve endings that receive signals from the external world are hooked up to a supercomputer. Wouldn't that show that we could simulate the experiences of that person? There's another thunder. <laughs> here's the problem. And here's where I totally agree with Alvanoi. If you were to actually think through this thought experiment, you would basically have to surround this brain in a vat with an environment and actually give it a body. So to explain, to explain how scientists would program this computer, you would basically have to say, well, the scientists would have to, you know, set up sensors that would read the external world, like light rays coming from the sun, for example, in order to program the computer. Well, here's the rub, but then the, the, but then the brain in the vat is really just a brain in an environment with, with computers and scientists in the inter, in the, uh, in between. So again, the speed of light seems to haunt the thought experiment that in order to accommodate light in your program you almost have to use sensors and 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 therefore you're you're just basically putting the brain in a vat in in an, in an environment with the speed with with light being it's the speed that it has 
So, but here's the thing. Our dream's a counterexample to the claim that our perception is not in the brain. After all, Alvin Noe claims that it is not the case that we take ourselves to represent the whole world, um, a, a whole world scene in our consciousness all at once. That is, the brain doesn't create or recreate the scene of reality inside itself. But in dreams, it seems like that is exactly what's happening. Now, I, I should say right here, a lot of people have pointed out that dreams and reality are not exactly the same. I mean, there's important differences. But before I go further, I want to briefly lay out what I take to be a, maybe not the, but a theory of how dreams take place in the brain. But first, a little history. In, in the early 1950s, two American physiologists, namely Eugene Asarinsky and Nathaniel Kleitman, found that the brain was aroused followed, following upon the NRE, NREM4 deep sleep stage. And then in the mid-1950s, Demet and Kleitman uh, would, you know, woke up people during this stage, during the REM sleep, and those people reported having dreams. So therefore, dreams and REM sleep were correlated. And then, and then, and then, Michelle Jovet uh, later experimented on cats because because they sleep a lot, <laughs> and found that that they they continued REM sleep even when the the forebrain was cut off from the brainstem. Uh, in fact, they continued REM sleep all the way down to the to the pond section of the brain. And then in 1977, Alan Hobson claimed that the cells in the ponds release a neurotransmitter, acetylcholine or choline, that activates the forebrain. And then uh, in, in later, Mark Solms um, showed that dreaming and REM sleep was actually, though correlated, not causal or identical. And he argued that uh, there, that there, were, there was a, a location in the brain called the mesopontine tegmentum, I think I pronounced that correctly, um, that if it was damaged, there would be no REM, but there would be dreams. And also there could, ha there could be damage to the posterior cortex that, that, would, that, would, that would have REM, but then no dreams. So there was a sort of a double disassociation between dreams and REM sleep. And according to Solms, it is the mesocortical, mesolimbic dopamine circuit that is involved in dreams. And he showed this by showing that lesions there, that if there are lesions there, there's no dreams. And there's also antipsychotics that block this dopamine pathway. And if, if it's so blocked, People don't have dreams. And then, and then there's also imaging uh, data that shows that this area is most active during dreams. So the upshot of this is that dreams seem to take place in the inferior parietal lobule. Lobule? And 
well, that's that's what Solms believes, and 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 that's kind of what what Hobson's believes was the the mecha- or the area where sort of the the scene of a dream would would take place. But here's the rub: where is the speed of light in all of this? How are the images in dreams, which seem to require light, right, manufactured by the brain? So now we come to my radical hypothesis. (laughs) I claim that what best explains the seven facts of dreams I listed, including the kill shot concerning the speed of light, is that when we dream, our soul or our monad, to use a Leibnizian term, makes contact with an alternative world. Now, as a, as a Christian, I would refer to this alternative world as the environment of God. Now, the great Irish philosopher George Barclay, who believed that all that existed were minds and ideas, quoted Paul from Acts chapter 17, verse 28, uh, and, and Paul himself was quoting from an ancient poet. Some people think it, it, it may have been Epimenides, uh, but it was probably Posidonius who said, quote, in him we live and move and have our being. So the idea is, I mean, and, and, he, and Barclay was referring to, to actual reality. He wasn't even referring to dreams. And so I, I would kind of follow Barclay there and just say that dreams are sort of, you know, God creations. And... And so these, al- these alternative worlds, which are sort of hip to talk about these days, you know, given the, the Marvel multiverse or, you know, or, or the many worlds theory of in, uh, interpretation of quantum mechanics, you know, are, are real worlds. So the speed of light is the speed of light. There's no problem there. And our, and our dreams are narratives because the alternative worlds are real. You know, they're, they're, they, they, they have people, they have mountains, they have lakes, they have salt, they have light. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, it is we who are experiencing these, these worlds, and so therefore that's why dreams are in the first person. And they also account for, for, for novelty because what happens in those alternative worlds are not what happened in the real world or what's happening in the real world. So I think Albanoi is correct. Our, our mind is not our brain, but to account for dreams, we have to posit a new, a whole new environment. And so I think this metaphysical picture is preferable from a Christian viewpoint because, you know, Christianity and, and the view that the mind equals the brain were, were never good bedfellows. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of metaphysics in, in, posited in Scripture that just doesn't seem to, or that, that seems to go beyond, uh, you know, just the physics of the brain. And, and you know, to, this theory about, you know, uh, a subjective being, you know, whether you call it a soul or a psyche or a a monad, um, I think comports well with 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 Christian metaphysics. Um, you know, and 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 as you as you preview Christian scripture it, and and its reports of dreams, and especially the the revelatory dreams. 
we we actually get a picture that seems at odds with the picture that I've painted here. You know, like with fantastical beings and you know sheaves bowing down and you know all the the dreams in the Bible seem to to actually require um, you know sort of special dispensation on on the alternative world and that and that's exactly what I think it is. I think these these dreams show that it's that God is involved in creating these. There's not there's nothing natural about these alternative worlds uh, when 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 God wants to reveal something in a dream. Um, you know that that uh, they have elements that seem you know that are from the ordinary world or but you know it, it seems like you can't really explain them as as an alternative world as you know as posited by you know the multiverse or you know many worlds theory or whatever so I think I, I think I'm gonna wrap up my my podcast here and I thank you for for listening and hope you will join me for further ruminations of a Christian on Salzburg and lightning thank you